Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And get out the good teacups. We have company. Yeah. <laughs> Dust them. Set yeah, them out. Exactly. Get them out of the hutch. You got to get them out of that hutch that no one's supposed to ever touch. <sighs> I'm not about fancy things that you don't use every day. Like, I can't. I can't. That's too much space dedicated I, to something. Like, if I'm going to have something nice, I'm going to use it. Like, girl, it's not for anyone else. It's for me. I actually, I have a friend. She went, reached a point in her life. She moved into her, her own home and single woman. And I came over to her house and she said, can I pour you a drink? And I was like, yeah, what do you got? She lists off the you know, the random bits of drinks. And I chose Fresca because I'm cool. And she served it to me in like this crystal chalice looking glass. It was amazing. She was just like, I am going to eat only off of China and drink only from crystal. I'm just life is too short. I've watched a lot of this is my mom's and I just used to just sit and watch it and life is too short. So I drink out of crystal and eat off China. I'm like, that is the most gangster mentality I have ever heard. But here I had this old fresca drink in this gorgeous glass and it just stuck with me i'm like if i'm gonna have stuff i better be prepared to use it so honestly we are too clumsy in this house to keep anything (laughs) nice (laughs) that's not the truth we move too much i can't i can't i can't because i don't want to be devastated that it broke because it makes me feel weird and shallow that this object broke and i'm like Mm. brokenhearted about it i don't know yeah that's real i'm that person I would imagine you have an extensive teacup collection. I have a lot of teacups. Yes, this is true. (laughs) We've also broken a fair amount of teacups in this house. (laughs) That's also true. That is perfect. Well, let's make sure we get out our favorite unbroken teacups today. Because in order to honor my last few moments in England, I wanted to make sure that we pay homage to the unicorns of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you matter too. <laughs> <laughs> London is a really great city. Like it's just one of those things I think Americans tend to really romanticize, and it's like a dream trip for lots of people. They want to go and for what it's known for, the Tower Bridge, for Big Ben and Buckingham Palace. But we can't also forget to acknowledge Great Britain's participation in the history of slavery. And because of that, that's kind of had some repercussions, to say the least, within its relationship to people of color. And amongst this massive wave of the Black Lives Matter movement, there has been this this call to talk about the history and their participation within the slave trade. It's just really nice to get view from someone who is actually mixed and British. So today we're going to have my friend who is an amazing mixed and British unicorn. Yes, I think it's also just important to note that so often when we're talking about race, and I'm not talking just about us, I think generally in conversations about race, there tends to be a lot of US centric view of it Mm. right like we we talk a lot about the history of race it gets so caught up in the unique circumstances of the U.S. that it makes it hard to talk about other people's experience because honestly white supremacy is a problem around the world not just Mm. the U.S. so I think there are a lot of things to be talked about and learned and shared from different experiences of 
different people of color, different mixed race people and their experiences with race everywhere. Mm, That is so I I enjoy that because a lot of professors that talk about acknowledging the colonistic life that we've had that thread globally, or there's not going to actually be global healing unless we acknowledge that is a global issue. And so, oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. So tell us about our guest. She is a phenomenal, a phenomenal unicorn. I actually uh, met her through another unicorn that's done some exciting uh, photography for our show. One Jesse Smith, you should go follow her at So Smith Photography. Well, she actually, we've met uh, casually through this friend on and on, but she actually attended one one of my conversation workshops that I I hold where we talk about how to have conversations about issues of race. And it was such a thrill to have her holding these conversations in not my native land is always a little intimidating. It's always hard to feel like you have any authority to speak upon issues sometimes. She came in with a real authenticity that I think is really important to have when you're having these conversations. So yeah, I just had to have her on the show. I had you all to hear about her life. She loves drag race and she's got beautiful pet rats. She's got Pokemon tattoos. She's honestly like one of the coolest people I know. Her fashion is amazing. Hair is cute and curly and I just kind of want to slightly be here sometimes. So everyone meet my lovely friend Sheree. <laughs> Hi Sheree. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Will you tell everyone where you are located? Not, you know, cuz I think most Americans just think all of England is just London. So <laughs> Yeah. So I live in the east of England about 2 hours from London. In the countryside, quite a way, a way away. <laughs> it's a really lovely area. I think people underestimate how much countryside England actually still is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, our favorite thing to do on the show when we have company is to ask of the our favorite question, which is, "What are you?" Well, a mix. I am white British. African-American, but I like to say I'm mixed. Why do you like to say that you are mixed? I guess probably because I don't really pass as either of those things by looking at me. And so it it saves a lot of hassle rather than saying one thing to have someone tell me that I'm not that thing. Do you encounter mixed? Like, is that common terminology in the UK these days? I don't really know a lot of mixed people, Um, Mm. really. until until recently, I grew up in like the countryside with a lot of uh, a lot of white people, so mm. there wasn't really anyone like me. I can just think of like maybe one other kid who wasn't related to me that was also mixed. So <laughs> yeah, no, not really something that I personally hear. I hear it now because obviously the, the internet, but growing up, it wasn't really a thing that I heard a lot of. Yeah. And I wonder, too, over time, it seems to have become more of a thing. Damika and I like to talk about we didn't really identify ourselves as mixed when we met all these years ago in high school. Like, we didn't have the right, like, wordage to describe what we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I was told by my mom that I was black. But now I, I 
much prefer calling myself mixed rather than just saying, oh, I'm, I'm black. Why is that? What's the journey to get you to that place to feel more comfortable of saying that I am mixed? I'm not really sure. I just think it fits me. It's just a comfortable place for me. Rather than being on one end of the spectrum, I feel like I fit in the middle. And so mm. mixed is the right word for that. Mm. What was it like growing up and being told that you're black? but growing up in these predominantly white spaces. Really just feeling quite separate from the people I was I grew up with and being told I was different, you know, thinking that other people are thinking that, oh, you're different as well. Like, So mm-hmm. I think that's really how it affected me and just made me feel very separate from other people that I was living around. Well, not only am I mixed racially, but, you know, just like, what nationality do I claim myself to be? How do you settle that that duplicity within yourself? I definitely feel very, very British, very English. I'm very patriotic in that sense. But that's actually pretty new for me because growing up, it was the other way around. And I really clung to the fact that I was American. And then as I grew up, I kind of started feeling and identify more with being British with the things I like, the culture and all that kind of stuff. Well, I still think there's this stereotype of something that doesn't roll off the tongue very well. It's just like black British. I think even mm-hmm. trying to explain to people within America of just like why the labeling of someone as African-American or even looking at you African-American. No, she is actually mixed British or black British that I think there's still that wrapping their mind around of this people of color belonging, growing up, uh, associating with other countries. It's still very foreign, at least in my experience of talking to to Americans of explaining there is you know, Asian British, there are people who have lived here. And this is where they claim and that's where their roots are. This is how they identify, which is really interesting. It's very odd to hear someone, at least in my experience, for someone to be like, oh, I'm black British, they would normally say they're British, and they wouldn't put Mm. race in front of it. Like, I don't think I've ever actually heard anyone call themselves like, Black British, I've I've heard it in music, but never like in conversation with other people of color, like where they would put their race in front of like the the nationality. Like I I only hear that from Americans really, where they would say they're Asian American or African American. But it's not really a thing I hear here. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? I think it could be to do with the fact that there really isn't a lot of options for that like when 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 you go to school and you have to fill in the information about you there isn't really at least when I went to school there wasn't really boxes for other races other than white or white Irish or that kind of stuff it was always like other or mixed with this I think now you get like Asian and stuff on that but for for a long time it was just like different kinds of white or maybe just like a very vague black Caribbean and that didn't really fit with me so it's never something that I would there was. Mm. Have you noticed like a shift? You said forms have changed a little bit since Mm -hmm. you were young. Has there been like other shifts that you've noticed in terms of being like more inclusive or more able to recognize different racial or ethnic groups? There's more of a black presence in, in media in the UK now. That wasn't there before. With this recent resurgence of Black Lives Matter and it happening kind of on a global scale, could you talk a little bit about what the climate is like in England regarding the Black Lives Matter movement? Not as big as it is in America, for sure. And there are a lot of people that 
don't think that this is a British problem and that、mm. it's solely an American problem and that it's not really relevant in England. Like, there, there are people that tell me that it's not bad in England. Like, what are you complaining about? It's a lot of denial, I think. Mm. Mm. Well, we've talked a lot about the denial and the roots of that kind of not being able to accept what's exactly going on with the Black Lives Matter movement. And it kind of goes back to this history. There's been a, a massive gap in kind of an absence of really honing in and acknowledging the, not only the history, but the participation of colonialism within Slavery within the transatlantic slave trade. There's this, it's so deeply ingrained, and so much of England is the infrastructure, the empire itself built upon the back of slavery. But yet, there seems to be a very noticeable absence of it within the teaching of said history. Yeah, in school, I learn a lot about the American slave trade, and I didn't really learn anything about. Britain's like part in that. And、mm. it wasn't until when Black Lives Matter picked up that I really looked into it. And obviously, there's protests going on in England where people were just angry about it. And I, and I learned that we still have streets and statues up of slave traders in England. And I didn't know this. I have 26 years and I didn't know because I was brought up to think that this was a, a thing that happened in the States and only the States. Well, yeah, I knew, I knew slavery happened in other places, but. The, particularly the treatment of black people, I was kind of told that that was an American problem, Amer- an American issue, not really something that was a thing over here. Wow, that's really interesting. Man, one of my favorite, favorite happenings of the Black Lives Matter resurgence was in, I guess it was Bristol, where they just like rolled the statue into, <laughs> into the,、uh, the bay there. And then someone updated Google Maps. That was my, my favorite thing. Yeah. It was, they were not, play- especially Bristol had, I mean, so much nasty slave money into、mm-hmm. it. I mean, that tobacco is, Floating Bristol. But the thing is, I think with the Black Lives Matter movement, and I had this come up in one of my conversation workshops where it's predominantly over 60 white British people talking about this particular topic, the removal of statues and art. And there seems to be the fear of erasure of their own history, which I don't think they realize that that's what they're afraid of, but I get that. But more, they were fear, afraid of where does it end? That was like the fear. Well, if we do it for these statues and we change these streets, where did it end? But it was in that moment where there was this faint recognition of so you do realize it is prolific because if we did start, it would actually go on for quite a while because it's so deeply ingrained. But there's not enough acknowledgement to say, hey, this actually is a. We, we need to recognize this and we need to make amends. Isn't that weird? In that one little phrase, you can say, where would it end? There's an acknowledgement, but also in a denial. Right in there.、Mm-hmm. So、mm-hmm. interesting. The thing that I don't really get about that is that when people say that, oh, you're erasing our history, I'm like, it can go in a museum. I'm not saying like destroy it and get rid of it for like, just put it in a museum and acknowledge the history. Like, he, he、yeah. had a statue up and there was no mention of the atro- atrocities that he committed. I just, Think that we should maybe acknowledge that and not literally put him on a pedestal. Like, 
Mm. Now, and I think that's an important point. No one is wanting to erase the history because there's real danger in erasing and forgetting. But it's it's different to remember your history. That looks different than glorifying your history, mm-hmm. right? Oh, that is so good. I, I think there is the the push to start putting plaques by these statues and by these streets to explain and i'm still on the fence of the effectiveness of that i'm still i'm like i'm still out to lunch on that i think it's great to acknowledge it because they said you know you have to acknowledge that that's step one but i i think where i buck at is just people's willingness to be more offended at the destruction of property than the motivation behind it and so now i'm to the point i'm like oh oh does that hurt your feelings (laughs) and now i just want to be like well what else can i take down it's not a good i think i'm still in that that very uh shocked place of how people can still deny and look at the history but i can see where a plaque of acknowledgement would be really beneficial i'm just not in that place of accepting it (laughs) Mm. i'm a little shocked still about you saying that you didn't learn a lot of it in school because i feel like the inverse is true in the state. I feel like we learn about how bad British colonialism was, but like like our own problematic history is very much like glossed over. I'm just very curious why that is. I know no one here knows the answer, uh, but I think it's I think it's very deliberate because I think schools are built to instill a sense of I guess patriotism in their citizens and if they tell you but the country you're in did a lot of bad stuff, you're probably not going to, you know, feel very good about it. So they, they don't want you to know that they did a lot of bad things. They'd rather you know about all the bad things all the other countries did so that you can feel like your country is better than that. Um, yeah, I learned a very different, like, history um, than I assume you guys did. And I, I have these conversations a lot with a lot of Americans and it's always ends in butting heads because, you know, you were brought up in condition to, to think a certain way about things that people did in the past. And a lot of people don't really try and grow past that, like high school history education. And they're kind of stuck with the very mm-hmm. uh, one-sided version of history. So... Mm. Isn't that so interesting that the the manipulation or the absence of that of history can keep us so incredibly separate as mm-hmm. well? And I I have noticed even with my daughter being in school, the need to fill in with patriotism is so intense. It's real. I mean, they have like a little mini history projects on these important figure figureheads in them. And when you research them, like, oh, they, they're 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 not so great, but they're held in such great esteem. But it's installed at such an early early age about the great standing and great empire that is Great Britain. It's interesting to see it from like an American whose child is going to a British school standpoint of just seeing that intensity, but. I could also just be my own biases because now I don't see it. I'm about to go see it from the American standpoint now because my daughter hasn't gone to an American school yet. So I'm now I'm wondering, like, was it that the way it was when I was younger in school? Were we kind of fed a lot of red, yes. white, and blue? <laughs> yes, it was. I can tell you right now. As somebody who's worked in schools professionally most of my life, yes, that's how it is. It's a lot. I mean, 
statehood projects. Like, I feel like that's a common thing in the U.S. Like, we do projects on different states and the history, and it's always this very, like, whitewash, glossed over history. Like, if there's any mention of indigenous people, it's just, like, as a footnote that, like, this state was named after them. It's not about, like, the occupation of their land. So much. So much. It's, I don't know. I think you're right on, Sheree, that it's about instilling this idea of patriotism and not wanting people to question how bad <laughs> the place they're living in might be. It's was it I watched a uh, program they're talking about like putting a tea towel over the history of just like if we just put this over it, then we don't have to like like the dishes when you don't want to do them, you just put it right over a little tea towel over history and because we don't want to deal with it it's messy and very difficult and Mm. there's this stereotype of the English people not wanting to go there and not wanting to be deep and to not have too much emotion I don't know where that comes from but I've seen people really own that and I don't get it (laughs) I don't get it people say oh I'm being British about it British people say that they're being British about things I don't get it It's the the stiff upper lip that we all have. Mm. But I'm like, but why own that? I don't know. No, it's it's no shade to anybody. It's just when people just been like, it's the keep con, carry on culture. And I'm like, but if you know everyone's calling you that, why is that not nice? Do you like that? Are you into that? But some people, they're really into it. It's always been education because, like I said, Danny actually brought up something really interesting about the state projects at elementary school. Because actually, I went to school here when I was young as well. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) So I missed the state projects. But it was something that Sheree and I talked about at the conversation workshop about the forms and, and checking in and how big of a deal that was and how we're slowly kind of going into that. I kind of want to transition and talk about a little bit about the, the term BAME or BAM. Do they say BAME? They say BAME or BAM. BAME. For those that's going to be Black, Asian, and Minority Ethnic, it's kind of like our version of BIOPOC. Uh, BIPOC. Oh, BIPOC? That's I say it oh, all the time. BIPOC is what they use BAME over. And there's been kind of like a pushback of using that term to describe minority groups and people of color. Um, do you use the term, Sheree? Mm, no, I just, I just say people of color. It's usually used in like kind of like official settings, mm. and I think what like I don't really have a problem with the the term. I have the problem with how much it generalizes, like everything other than white. Mm. So it can just lead to like issues when there's studies and they could say something. I read an article and it was about how there were lots of people making their way into the the technology mm. industry. Mm-hmm. And they, they use the term BAME, but what they really meant is that there were a lot of Asian people making their way into the technology industry. And so it absorbs black people and minority ethnic people who were actually like maybe like a really low percentage. But because it was put up into this this bowl, it kind of like lets the black people like slip through because it's too generalized. So people can fall through cracks when you just put them all into one category and they're really not. Mm. I love the word you used, absorb. I, I read the article too, and it was really 
it was educating because at the glance, it actually seems really okay. But when you actually look at it, what you're saying, using it in that pro- professional sense, in census, and when they're t- talking about jobs and going forth towards representation and diversity, you can see how damaging it actually can be. Mm-hmm. But couldn't the same be said about people of color? Doesn't that group people in a similar way? Mm. I yeah, I think so. I think I think we should acknowledge that each group has their own struggles and when and you know, when we put them together like that, you really are just kind of pushing it under the rug a little bit because you can make something look really good and hide the really bad that's going on. Both terms do the same thing. I think people get really scared of saying black or Asian or singling out any race, but I think that's counterintuitive when you start using these generalizing terms. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's two-pronged. It's both what you're saying. I absolutely agree. And I think there are real problems with non-Black people of color claiming to understand the Black experience because we're all people of color. But it's like, no, the Black experience is very different than my experience, right? Like, like we experience racism. It's different. It's a different experience. And so I agree mm. that, like, that grouping is problematic in a certain sense. But I think going back to your comment about people being afraid to call out race, I think a lot of that is rooted in the fact that we live in this era of colorblindness. And so even pointing out the difference is like seen as like, oh, no, that's racist behavior by acknowledging the difference. We're all the same. But that is actually more harmful (laughs) than not. (laughs) I agree. I think there is a, that that deep-rooted fear of even just coming off. It's funny. People don't want to come off racist, but they don't want to do anti-racist work. Mm. It's like so lovely to be able to like have your cake and eat it, too. Well, the, <laughs> the worst thing you can call a white person is racist. I don't know why that is what has become the marker, but like that's evidently like a step too far, calling a white person racist. Mm. Yeah, I mean, no, we all have this image of ourselves, right? And we talked about like those hidden bias instead of just asking how could someone perceive that and where am I? It's a very much like you, how could you call me that? You don't mm. know me. You does that it's that that huge amount of deflecting instead of saying, "Wow, to be accused of that, to be called that," instead of looking at the weight and brevity of that, saying, "Wow, or, uh, gravity of that." Wow, what what about my behavior? What I said might reflect that if I don't think that, but no one said it's turned back into you, you know, you don't get to call me that you don't know me. I have loads of black friends. Like <laughs> George W. Bush said that the worst thing that ever happened to him when he was president was when he was called racist because of like his response to Hurricane Katrina. He said that was the worst thing that anyone ever said about him. Oh, George. <laughs> but, but isn't, once again, it's that saying something without saying something, recognizing how the long history of racism and how terrible and dreadful it is and that you could be associated with that. But at the same time saying I'm colorblind and I'm totally cool and I'm totally hit. But yet, if you get associated with that, you realize how bad it is. Isn't that weird? Like in the same breath, you can say instead of being like, well, I don't think racism exists or I don't see color. So when you're being accused of being a racist, it should be I'm like, oh, 
oh, you know, it, is, it doesn't hit the same, but yet it does because you know what that implies. Ah, oh, it's so, mm-hmm. uh, the duplicity. Like, how do you live that way? How do you say one thing, but yet you it hits different when you get called it? Oh, no. We build these walls, Domika. <laughs> Keep our hearts safe. I, uh, <laughs> it's so off in real life at a very social distance, safe way. Sure, and I actually got a coffee and a muffin and it was amazing. But you actually brought up something I had never really taken the time to really notice. And that was the, and you brought up the multicultural London English when you talked about the accents changing. Cause I think that's since you're here and you know, you're British, I have to ask you about mm-hmm. your accent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause it all comes down to race. Can you kind of talk a little bit about, I think Americans, we go straight for the Cockney accent and we're, <laughs> we all think everyone's like Dick Van Dyke, even though he's not British and they go straight, they go straight for that a little bit. People say that, but in my mind, it's like a very posh accent. I never go for the Cockney. I always go like very posh in my mind. In my mind, I thought I had a real British one, but then I got here and I'm like, oh no, it's West African. Like when I think of like what a mm. British, I always go to West African, which is like my favorite. It's a British, it's a really pretty accent. I like it, but I got here and I'm like, oh, that's not the real accent I had in my head. Then you meet someone, you're like, oh, that's it. Or Welsh. I think Welsh is beautiful. It sounds like a fairy. <laughs> but you kind of talked about this dilution, this loss of this over traditional stereotypical kind of accent a little bit. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? There's a lot of accents in England. No one, no one really talks the same way. You can go one town over and it will sound completely different. But something that is obviously new is multicultural London English, which is, it's not really a race kind of thing. It's more of a class kind of thing. So it's mm. a working class mm. accent. And I think that's really how most accents work. They, they are regional, but also obviously posh. The posh accent, the accent that people really think is very English is obviously very upper class. But for MLE, it's a new and it's coming out of London. But really, with the internet, it's it's spreading a lot. So a lot of young people, like my sister's age, she's, eight, she's 18 now, they, they kind of speak like that. And we're, like I said, two hours away from London. And she taught, she uses the slang, which is influenced a lot by immigrants. So it's the usually the more diverse your friend group is, the more likely you're going to speak that way. So it's, it's a lot of like Jamaican words are kind of mixed in there. Like my sister will call up her friend and she'll say Wagwan and we're English. Like she lives, she's lived in England. She's never stepped foot in Jamaica, but she'll, she'll talk like that with her friends and they'll, they'll use all these words that I am not hip enough to know. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I think it's spreading more also because the London rap scene is also getting a little bit bigger. So it's, it's spreading more as well because of that. We have a lot of big rappers coming from London who all are obviously from London. So they speak that way and more young people are hearing it in, in England. And yeah, and pretty much uh, most of the big cities will have some form very similar to this kind of way of talking. Hmm. So is there any issue of this MLE that has a lot of roots in like Jamaica, sometimes in the Caribbean and this working class having white British people speak of that? Is there been any issues with that? Or is it like you said, more of a class thing? If someone comes from a more working class, it's a lot more acceptable. 
if a white British person has it. I think you grow up where you grow up. You grow up with people who talk a certain way, you're going to talk like them. And I don't really think that there are white people who speak like that. And I don't really think there's an issue with it because it really is like the a, a working class thing. It's not really uh, with any one race. Like you have black people, you'll have Middle Eastern people who, who speak like this. You have white people... It's just kind of a really general, like, accent for for young people. Mm. I like that. So it's very, very different than, than, like, African-American vernacular English, right? It is also, for many people, tied to class, but, like, it's also so heavily tied to race. So that's really interesting. Mm. I was actually just going to mention that talking about there's this big, huge thing of using accents and vernacular in America being very tied to race. So we talked about if someone... I know when they have white rappers coming out, and if they happen to have this particular kind of accent slang, they would get accused of appropriation. Where I think here it's more, well, this is where you come from. Of course, that's what you would sound like. This is your family. This is class. This is your village. This is your, you know, your borough, that kind of thing. And so it would make more sense. It's not really accused of being appropriation in England. That is really interesting. I wonder, too, it seems like England has more accents in, in dialects <laughs> per capita than the U.S. So I wonder if that's why, too. Like, it's also just cultural. People have accepted, mm-hmm. like, people talk differently from different places. For sure. Mm. What was it? Trying to get used to the different accents there. I mean, we... There's the... Where we live, we have Norfolk and Suffolk, which are... They're super tiny. They're crazy close. You can drive right through them. I mean, in a matter of like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes are very tiny little areas. But the accent people will automatically, especially if they've lived there for a long time, like, oh, you're from the north or you're from the south. It is crazy. It, I just didn't. It, it took me years to finally hear it. But those who have, I mean, they can pick it up and it just sets a tone. The first time I was talking to a British person that was from Norfolk, they someone else joined in and they're like, oh, you're from Birmingham. And like their demeanor and the way that they treated them was so different. It was just I'm like, there's just two white guys who have this a bit of, you know, teasing, kind of like pulling each other's, you know, chains a little bit. But you could tell that there was this little bit of like, well, you are from here. I'm from the East Coast. You are from Birmingham. You are. They have this preconceived notion of how to treat one another based upon an accent. It was so interesting. I think your accent is very, is posh. Sure. I think it's very, very posh accent. I have a a very weird accent. (laughs) Obviously, so when I was younger, I went to American schools until I was about eight. And then I transitioned to English schools, and I lived in Norfolk, but my mum is from Suffolk, and mm. so it's interesting, to say the least. I don't think I sound very posh. I, I just think I sound, I sound, I, I think, yeah, I guess I do sound very, like, generic, like, English. It's not really regional, per se. Like, I don't sound like I'm from Norfolk. No. No, because that's a really <laughs> sick like, country accent. We, we, and I we, both went, that. we both went, no. <laughs> it's like really just like really soothing. It's a really soothing accent. You do. You have a very nice accent. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We're going to bring you on the show, compliment your accent, and then talk about more race things. I don't know. I always find it so, I mean, nobody ever thinks they have an accent, right? But I feel like I have such a generic, like, American accent. Vaguely West Coast. You could tell I, like, have Spanish heritage in certain words, but, like, for the most part, pretty generic. So I'm always very excited by, like, 
someone who who feels like tied to an accent. I think it's so cool. Uh, Danny, in your travels, has someone complimented your accent? (gasps) Oh my gosh, my friend who's British. (laughs) (laughs) She's from near London, and she has a really nice accent. But I once drunkenly was telling her how much I liked her accent, and she was like, no, you have an amazing accent. I love your accent. And I'm like, me? What? Okay. I don't know. I sound American. I don't know. <laughs> it's always like the best. Even someone the other night was just like, oh, you have such a nice, nice accent. I'm like, go on. I just need to hear <laughs> something good right now. I'm not going to deny it. I'll just take it. But yeah. I um, I always get the, I used to get very disappointed if I didn't have either a Southern draw or sound like someone from the OC. That's, mm. that's, that's the, that's what I either got disappointed that I didn't sound like a surfer or a debutante. <laughs> I think I sound vaguely valley girl sometimes. If you get me saying like too much, it's not not good. No good. It's perfection. I can't say I know much about American accents other than I think what you just said, the the valley girl. Like Like, totally. Wow. Yeah, that one. Um, Like Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) And and the southern and then obviously just. Oh, and New York. I know Ooh, about New York. New York. New York one's good. I, you know, I think America actually has, no, we talk about it, has, actually has a few. Because even a southern one, it's like, is it Texan? Because they have their own. Is it? Right. Oklahoma this, has a distinctive ooh, one. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Car- the Carolinas is different than Mississippi, different from New Orleans. So I guess, yeah, we don't yeah. appreciate our accents. We actually have quite a few. North and South California is slightly different. Yeah. My father-in-law's from Philadelphia and he says things like <gasps> water instead of water. Oh, <gasps> that's amazing. Yeah. I love like that neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> All the time my husband when I say a particularly English word, I'll be like, "Can you pass me the water?" And he'll he'll be like <laughs> and he'll just like repeat it water. like he'll be like water and I'm like, "Yes, yeah, the water." <laughs> Love it. Oh, my. oh, that's adorable. I, uh, the only thing I would be like, I hope he doesn't keep up for like your whole marriage. <laughs> Been like, it was cute. I think he just likes it. Um, does your husband have an accent? Yes, I think so. He's, he's. I don't really notice it, but people say he sounds like he's from New York because that's where he grew up. Hmm. Hmm. I think New York accent is like that part of the world. I only notice it when he says something what's like hot dog, then I notice. Hot dog? What does a hot dog sound like in a, a New York accent? It's like, he says it like D-A-W-G. Like, oh, dog. Like a hot dog. Dog. Hot dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. Very different from the English. So you're in a multi-ethnic, international relationship marriage. What's that been like mm-hmm. for you? It's cool. He really wants me to learn Spanish, which I'm finding really, really difficult. So there's that. But other than that, it's pretty it's pretty good, pretty chill. <laughs> He's a very proud Puerto Rican man. Oh. That's so sweet. How was it meeting have you been able to go to Puerto Rico yet? No, we we haven't gone to the States at all since we've been together. Oh, oh that'll be so exciting when you're able to, to go. I hope you guys go mm-hmm. in this imaginary world. Yeah, we Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it'll probably just cost more now because since the the hurricane, his childhood home isn't really there anymore. So mm. there's not really a place to go to. Mm. Oh, it must have been so difficult. I wouldn't think about like Puerto Rican culture and British culture, 
How does that mesh? Because you seem really chill and you just seem like this is, you have a lot of patriotism towards the British life and he has a lot of patriotism towards a like, but love for Puerto Rico. Do you ever feel like you're just like, oh, that explains why we might not agree on certain things because of where we are, where we're aligned with? Not really, except the only thing I can think of that we're really is quite different as food. Especially when we first started dating because stereotype is that British food is very bland. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's very homely. Um, and when I would make stuff for him, he would he would want to put like spicy teas and season everything. And it, it did not make me happy. <laughs> a man after my own heart. Either the way I made it first. <laughs> no, I made him a cottage pie and he wanted to put like, like spices into like into the meat and then yes. put like some really spicy cheese on top and I'm just like cheese on top of it and spices this is not this is not how it's supposed to be no but I, I've, I've got him onto a lot of um English food now so that's not really a problem slowly convert um uh, one of our favorites is bangers and mash uh it, it's yeah just sausages and mashed potatoes and some veggies with lots of gravy uh kind of a twist on that is he really likes toad in the hole have you had that one before no that one's that one's really good an english roast like i like to do a roast every sunday or every other sunday because it's a lot of cooking um (laughs) sunday roast is is always really good one in this house i make a lot of food right now we're doing um like the food boxes where they send you like all the ingredients and and the recipes we've been trying a lot of new things is there any questions you have for us no, really. I follow all your stuff, so I, I see a lot of you guys. <laughs> oh, no. Poor thing. She's, like, saturated. She's like, I'm good. <laughs> She's like, I know more than enough. Thank you. <laughs> no, I just want to say that I'm really adored at the work you guys are doing. And the stuff that you put out, It's it really means a lot to people like me who don't I didn't really see, hear or speak a, speak about a lot of this stuff until recently, so it's been really great to see people and speak to people now who kind of know what it's like. Thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. You are such a beautiful unicorn, and I'm honest, I'm really proud of you just like stepping out and just owning your mixedum. And honestly, like I said, the moments and times I've heard you speak has just been from a place of just honesty and I think it's so powerful when people share their experience where, you know, Danny's insanely intelligent and I've just got a lot of mouth. Like you, you have something that I think is transcendent even beyond that. And that's just sharing your experience. And I think that can make such massive headway into people, especially in this climate to where they might not want to hear facts. They might not want to hear the movement, but there's something about just sharing your life and that makes such a big difference. So thank you for going out there. And I think you're being such a great role model for your, for your siblings as well. So they can be a little bit more comfortable in their identity and all the unicorns listening now. So, oh my goodness, thank you so much. Damika, what's your happy place? 
Uh, well, because it's going to be general knowledge before this comes out, I am going to be a tia. I'm going to be an auntie. I am so stoked. I am like beyond excited. I wanted to be an auntie before I wanted to be a mom. So I'm taking this very seriously. <laughs> it's kind of a dream to be an aunt. It's all the like love and the good parts of children, but without having to like be in charge of a life or discipline someone. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I'm all about that awesome life. <laughs> I I'm so I did I actually for I did not foresee myself being a very like domestic married with children kind of person. I didn't for the longest of time. I wasn't that person that dreamed of that, but I did dream of being an auntie weirdly enough. And so this is like I am for the first time in my life those shirts that make like oh just drop me off at auntie's house t-shirts. They don't seem so cringy now. I'm like, "Oh, can I get that in black?" I'm so they're still they're still cringy. Yeah, this I don't care. I still I I just want one for me and then throw shade at all those just for me. I'm so excited. I am. I, I am. I'm really um I will be living a lot closer to my sister-in-law and I think just getting to know her and creating that that bond and I don't if she would like some of my motherling wisdom or not to do what I've done either way anyway can be helpful and then for Mariah to have a cousin that will be so exciting I think she's my great older cousin and yeah I'm not gaga about babies I'm not but this is different this is my this is my little my little niece and or nephew that my daughter and I have named Cayenne in the wound <laughs> We call the baby whatever it may be, Cayenne. So baby Cayenne, in my mind, is going to love me. The best aunt ever. So happy place. It's <laughs> oh, a really right. good happy place. I'm, I'm really, I'm like giddy when I think about it. Like I said, I'm not one to be over the top about babies. But now that I'm seeing baby clothes, I'm like, look at, oh, can I find some more gender neutral goodness over here? I'm like, no, nah, not good enough. I'm sober. I'm I'm absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> All right, Sheree, mm-hmm. what's your happy place? Why well, no? I guess my happy place is my house, my home. I'm happy to have my husband back. Um, he left like a week before the UK went into lockdown. So I did the whole, you know, lockdown by myself in my house with just my pet. It was a little bit lonely. And, you know, I had all these plans for the time he was away. I was going to, you know, work, earn some money, start my driving lessons. And obviously that all kind of went out the window. So I'm really happy just having him home and in the house. I can see the kitchen light on over there. And I'm like, there's someone in there. And it's just like super nice to not be by myself in the house. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, that's my happy place. This house, this lovely little bungalow. Mm, That's lovely. I know, these are good ones this time. All right, Danny, put the cherry on top of this Sunday. I am messing up the happy places. Mine, and this is going to be probably an old news story by the time this drops, but my happy place is, and I don't know if you you all have heard about this since you're all the way across an ocean, the St. Louis Zoo. There is a python who is 63 years old who just laid a clutch of eggs. She hasn't been with a male in 15 years. She just like she, she just like wanted some baby life. pythons and made that happen. That's, like I love it. I love awesome. it so much. Yeah, pythons evidently so there's two things and they aren't sure which one of the two it, it is. Evidently they can mm. store 
semen for insemination later if they if they choose or two they can also reproduce asexually so it's one of those two that has happened but she's also like the oldest I, snake they've ever known to there's to lay eggs. layers upon this that i want to get into more in depth than i'm willing to admit <laughs> like i'm thinking about someone who hasn't gotten any in a long time and just storing <laughs> all that up and i'm like part of me is like i don't think i'd want that around at that in my body for that long so I'm just going to do it. My- <laughs> I'll be real with you about that. Then there's on the other end where it's just like, That's yeah, it's super. <laughs> but maybe she was just waiting. Like, I want to know what snake years are to people years, like dog years. Does anyone know snake years? Are there snake years? That's really I old. I don't know how long they live. That's but crazy. 63 Can you imagine old. being like, I've done my career. I've been in the, the spotlight for so long. It's time for me to settle down and asexually make some babies. I'm ready now. I think if that was an option, there would be more people doing it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Guaranteed. And I think part of it must be like... Everything was closed down. Like, no people were visiting. She was just by herself. And so she was just like, "Mm, you know what? I'm over being alone. (laughs) I love it. I love it. She had some self-reflection, some snake reflection of being like, what is is the meaning of life? Am I just turning tricks at the zoo? Who's going to, where's my legacy? I've got, let me check storage. This is, (laughs) I'm so into this grouping of happy places i love a woman who knows what she wants and just gets it like i love it <laughs> i love this snake woman i'm all about her <laughs> yes snakes this one's for you girl <laughs> <laughs> i tried to find her name and i couldn't find her name i don't know if they've they haven't named her which would break my heart but Aww. i couldn't find what the snake's Aww, name should is. we name her no <laughs> that I is don't know. absolutely amazing now I just I just want to name her now. I'm like Lucille. Who, what's a name that has a lot of chutzpah? <laughs> we need one of those kind of names. Right. <laughs> oh, I'm so those perfect happy places. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there is some connection, right? There's motherhood. There's like connection with others. There's there's lots. And then there's making babies by yourself. Yeah, perfect. All about it. Mm-hmm. This show has everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's got it's perfect it's it's got everything yes. well thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. us Sheree it was really interesting to hear all your perspectives thank you for having me uh, I feel so much more proper after having that conversation <laughs> is that is that stereotypical of talking to someone who is who's English I think it is <laughs> I think it's really offensive <laughs> I'm always in trouble Oh no. Well oh, good no. thing you're you're getting out of that country. No one's gonna be able to hunt you down. And they'll always find me. They always will. I'll get a sternly worded email about about my behavior. But I, I love it. Yeah, luckily no one's gonna call you out hardcore because, you know, they're British. See? Look, everyone may <laughs> It's the absolute best. I'm going to totally, I am, I'm, I've spent 11 years in this country in total. So it's um, like, yeah, it's all nearly a third of my life. No one do the math. Not quite. So I feel like I have a lot of state, like stake in this country and a lot of love and some weird ties to it. And uh, I think I'll always have a piece of my heart here and it won't be the last time I probably spent a good amount of time here. So. 
girl, I mean, you just sent me that thing about Back to the Future, the musical. So. I know! I, I, I wish you could have, like, I almost sent you a voice message about it so, like, you could just hear, Denny! <laughs> you should have. <laughs> but I did my best to spell it out as best as possible. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> That's real friendship, but yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Unicorns, look outside this like sphere of your own life, and I don't because Danny, you have friends from all across the globe, don't you? I do. Yeah, it makes travel easier, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's also just so good for perspective, and and I think that's something that I really appreciated about having Sheree on today mm-hmm. is just I think there's so much to learn about the world from other people's experiences. And I think the more you learn about the world, the more you learn about yourself. It's just like a happy coincidence that that happens. So I'm really glad that we got to hear her perspective today. Mm -hmm. I think my biggest takeaway from her and for friends I have all around the world is that we get to fill in those gaps of history to where we can start getting the real story. And I think that mm. is so valuable. I love that when I can kind of de-Americanize my version of history and start figuring out somewhere within our versions where the truth actually is. And that's transformative. Yeah, that's real. So yeah, unicorns out there, if you have yet another version of the world <laughs> in history that you would like to share with us, you should do so. You can send us an email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail or you could find us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at biracialunicorns and we are on Twitter at biracialmagic. Yes. If you love the show, please make sure while you're doing all the fun stuff to also write us a review. We would really appreciate it. That is beyond helpful for us. And we just want to know what you're enjoying and we want to hear from you. We also would love if you could follow the amazing Dolly Pop Art, who's done our iconic unicorns picture. It's it's one of my favorite things. You should also go follow Joseph Scott of Citizens of Tape City, who's done our amazing intro and outro music. Yes. Mm. So we will be back next week with a minisode and in two weeks with a full episode. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, be good to each other. Mm. write us a review we just need so much love in the world right now <laughs> the world is like such a horrific place so i am just like urging you all to please just send love to everyone yes oh my goodness this world is literally sounds like a doomsday novel it's just <laughs> it just like every time I'm like what chapter of apocalypse now is going on in this world today i can't the news gives me nightmares i'm officially that years old that I can't watch news now. (laughs) Yeah, that's real. (laughs) But yeah, we'll be back next week, unicorns, and we will be around on social media between now and then. So reach out. Mm. All right, y'all. Peace. Out. Out.